Okay. I think it is. You know, I've been gone for four weeks. Nobody noticed, but that's all right. Um, and one thing I had to think of is how much my youth group, I miss them like crazy. It was so good to be back together with them Thursday night. But also here, too, just the, the body of Christ is special to us in that we come together, we live life together, but we also encourage and build each other up. That's what it should be anyway to each, each one of us is, a, is the idea that as we come together, we build each other up, not in a way of this flesh. I don't sit here and just brag on Merv and how wonderful he looks in his gray suit and black shirt, but I want to build each other up in Christ. The real strength that we have through the week is Christ. When the trials and the storms of life come upon us, it's Christ that builds us up. It is Christ that will strengthen us through those. I mean, sorry, let me start over. It is Christ that gives us the strength to go through those trials and those storms. That is the true strength. That is the true strength that we can give to each other and share with each other is Christ, what he is doing in us, and then also what he can do in each one of you. So I just want to encourage each one of you as we have our conversations today, as we sing, as we listen to the sermon, whatever we may do, let's remember that in Christ is all the strength that we need. There's nothing else in this world that we really need, but in Christ we have all the strength that we do need. And um, even through maybe how uh, badly we might sound sometimes, when we're singing because we didn't get all the everything practiced all on time and everything. Yesterday was a busy day, by the way. Um, so, but in Christ is everything. And Steve's back there ready to jump. So we'll uh, keep going, Steve, so you can start. Are you going to boogie back there? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Is, that an old ter- is that an old enough term for you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Just, okay. While eating a donut. All right.
just to live, Lord, that you would be in our life the very thing that gives us the sustenance to live. Lord, without you, we have no strength. We have no life in reality. And Lord, I just pray that each one of us would understand that. And Lord, our desire for you would go stronger every day. Our desire for your word, our desire for the filling of your Holy Spirit within us, our desire for your direction in our life, our desire for just you to be in control. And Lord, for us to just give it to you and understand that none of the stress, none of the, none of the pressures of this world, none of the things that go on in our life, Lord, the need to actually overwhelm us. But Lord, in you is our strength. And Lord, I just pray that that would be each and every one here this morning. Throughout this next week, throughout this next year, Lord, that we would find our strength in you. In Jesus' name.
Turn it up, Ty. Down. I was thinking as we were singing that song, and you know, you all stayed, stayed seated, so I had to say something. Um, where in Scripture was did something happen where you have to think that the whole crowd stood? Steve. Oh, in the synagogue when they would read the scripture? Yeah, in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah they stood? Okay. Well, I mean, you see, I knew I was going to get more than what I knew about, but um, I'm thinking of something, uh, uh, a an event that would have happened where they were saved that I would have to think they stood as they sang. When they crossed the Red Sea. Exactly. What is the representation of the Red Sea? If we look at it in the life of what, our, what we live 
in the Christian life, how does that represent it? Deliverance from sin. How many times, I mean, I, I know there's many that have gotten saved and they're on their knees before God or on their face before God in, in pure joy. But so many times where a soul is saved or someone comes to Christ, what do we do? We stand around, we sing, we rejoice. That is the standing in awe of God because there's only one, one that can save us truly, that we can sing about, that we can rejoice in. And that is why I stand in awe. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
So I know that we have a few people that speak Spanish here, other than Christy. Um, and I always, Augustine, I know, uh, I used to do a lot of work down in Nuevo Laredo, and there was one song that we sang over and over and over, because it was one song that everybody could sing, and it was Alleluia, because it's the same word. I mean, you can kind of twist it a little bit to make it all sound the same, right? But it's Alleluia. Um, do you know the chorus, Christy? I don't know if you can figure out how to play with it. That's fine. But, um, Alleluia. 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 Alleluia.
This morning, I have, first of all, I'm going to have a story for you and then a little object lesson to kind of help you remember. We're going to talk about that we don't need to fear because a Savior is born. We celebrated Christmas yesterday, right? Did you guys have fun with Christmas? Okay. What? A Lego monster truck? Wow, that was sweet. Aww. Um, so the reason why we don't need to fear is because a Savior was born, right? A Savior saves us? Okay. So listen, uh, fear not, do not be afraid. The angel spoke these words to Zechariah, to Mary, to Joseph, and finally to a group of shepherds on a hillside near Bethlehem. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Fear has a way of tying up our stomach in knots, paralyzing our thinking. Um, we can worry. And in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus talks about tiny defenseless sparrows in the context of fear and worry. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Don't you think? You're so much more valuable to Jesus than the sparrows, and yet he cares for them so well. Okay, for on that first Christmas, the world was in desperate times too. A census is being conducted in order to raise already high taxes. 
murderous, paranoid Herod the Great is king of the Jews. It is probably winter on Bethlehem's hillsides and cold. Inside a tiny inn in the town sits a poverty-stricken carpenter and his young wife, far from home, probably chilled to the bone. She is in labor. Her child would be born in a stable of all places. Why is it like this, she may have asked. And then she recalls an echo of the angel's words to her. Do not be afraid, Mary. Um, And again, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Fear not, the shepherds' fear is turned to joy as they hear news that a Savior is born, the Messiah, in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so they run down the hillsides into the town and hurry from stable to stable until they find the child in the manger, just as they had been told. Tucked in that manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes against the cold, is the Savior himself. Now, what do you guys think a Savior does? Yeah, it is Jesus. What does this Savior do? Saves What does he do? Saves us. Yes, a Savior saves, right? That's what you were going to say? It's not too hard, huh? So Jesus is our Savior, right? And he promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. And to us, all the things we need as we seek him and his kingdom, he will give to us. But our world doesn't know this. Do you think our world knows this? They celebrated Christmas, but a lot of people in the world, they think that Christmas is just gifts and under a tree, um, that it means having a nice dinner with your family. But it isn't the real Christmas. This is the real Christmas message, that God has sent a Savior for you and for me to save us from our sins and to help us in this life, right? To lift our burdens and ease our fears. That's it, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, God himself. Only God can save us. And he sent his son Jesus to this world To be born like a little baby, just like all of us were born. And he lived a perfect life, but he went through hard things, just like we do. And then he died, but is he still in the grave? Is he still dead? No. No. What happened to Jesus? again and he is alive and in the same way now we don't need to fear death anymore either because he already died and he rose and we will too we will live again with him if we believe in him okay so i have a little lesson or a little illustration about fear and i'm gonna need help like always mateus you want to hold this candle for me can you come up here needs to stay can you hold that in your hand this for some reason the wick keeps liking to fall down so maybe hold it like that don't let it fall brad do you want to light it for us so this candle is a representation of our lives 
We'll try not to get his coat to start on fire. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, now I have a paper here, which is kind of like a fan. And I want you guys to tell me some things that you might be afraid of. What are some fears that you might have? I'm going to write them down. What was that, Blake? Getting hurt. What's another one? Yeah, like, what are you afraid of? What is something that we can struggle? We all have fear. Yeah? Ooh, that would be right up there on my list. <laughs> Getting bit by a snake. What are you afraid of? Um, I'll think about that. Okay. Anybody else? Benny? Falling off a mountain. Oh, falling off a mountain. That sounds very scary. I'm scared of that one, too. If I'm up on a high cliff. Rattlesnakes. Ooh, rattlesnakes. We live in Colorado where we have rattlesnakes. Okay. Rattles, our snakes seem to be a theme. Brad, what is something that you could be afraid of? Hiking with dad. <laughs> Hiking with dad. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I understand that. Okay, I'll put hiking. Yes. Like if we're gonna like to jump out of a helicopter with like some parachutes on our backs, that's so scary. Oh, that does parachute jumping. We don't have to really do that. What about I have one. Are you guys ever afraid of the dark? Is it okay? Oh yeah, no okay. You're doing a good job. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Okay, so let's put down the dart, and then I think we're good. <laughs> Poor Mateus is like, do I have to hold this all day long? The dart. Okay, so look what happens. Fear in our lives can kind of be like a fan that will just fan the flames. It's it, we feel scared, and it and it feels like it can make us all disoriented and worried and. Look, it's just not peaceful at all, right? Thank you. That's it. <laughs> oh, no. It, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, no. It slid out. I'm so sorry. I should have brought a candle with the. Are you okay? I'm so sorry. Well, we won't worry about the candle. I'm so sorry. I should have brought one with a stand on it so you don't have to hold it. <laughs> okay, but the fear in our lives would be like blowing the candle out, right? No. But we need a protector. We need a savior, right? So prayer is that protector that we have. Caden, can you hold this right here? If that, hold it up here. If that flame would still be going, if that flame would still be going and we would be 
uh, putting this fan here, do you think it would be causing the flame to, to do anything? Would it be uh, disrupting the flame at all? No. no, it wouldn't. You know why? Something is protecting it. Yes, exactly. So Jesus is our Savior. He's our protector. And we can call on him. Prayer just means talking to Jesus. It's actually really simple. So we can just talk to him and say, Jesus, I feel scared right now. Can you help me? And does he help us? Yes. Yes. He is still a good Savior, just like he was when he was born all those years ago. Um, he still saves us and protects us. I'm so sorry that I burnt your hand. Is it okay? Does it hurt still? It's okay. Oh. Okay, you guys can go back. Good job. I'm so sorry, Mateus. Thanks. Poor guy. Well, good morning. Looks like my son forgot his guitar. Y'all have a good Christmas? Yeah. All right, my kids did. So it's a nice, relaxing day for us. I hope it was for the rest of you. I'm not sure if it was relaxing for the Esch family. It sounded like they had a pretty good party going on here. So. But uh, it's good to have these times to be together with family and friends and to celebrate. And uh, hopefully we all remembered the reason that we're celebrating. So it's good to have you all here this morning to continue our celebration. It looks like we've still got some nice Christmas decorations, assumably left over from yesterday, but nice nonetheless. And we're going to have a meal after the service as we normally do. And uh, please... Stay for that and enjoy that time of fellowship with us. Uh, I don't think we really have anything planned throughout. Actually, we do have something planned throughout the week or towards the end of the week. I almost forgot here. In your bulletins, it says that our family game night is the 7th, which it normally would be the first Friday night of the month. But we uh, moved that up to this Friday night, which will be a New Year's Eve. So... It'll be a kind of a New Year's Eve celebration and game night all rolled into one. And that will be here at what time, John? 6.30. Schroeders are hosting that. Um, I'm assuming, as usual, bring finger foods and that kind of thing. But it's just a relaxing time of games and whatever all. It's nothing, uh, nothing formal or anything like that, just a good time together, and we'll do that New Year's Eve instead of the first Friday of January. Um, as usual, we have coffee, tea, water out in the foyer, and I think we have donuts and cookies and all kinds of good stuff like that out there as well this morning, so uh, feel free to make use of that. I uh, don't think we have any other announcements to make. So Phil's going to be speaking this morning. Actually, next Sunday, uh, Judah Kofer from Windsor uh, Christian Fellowship will be speaking to us here next Sunday for the sermon. So 
keep that in mind and come for that. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time that we have together here this morning. I thank you for our time of worship, and I thank you that we can just come to you in, in this way and to praise you, to worship you, and to uh, hear from you, and that's, that's what we want for our lives today, Father, that you would speak to us through our brother and through your word, and that our lives would be enriched and inspired by hearing from you today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's also be praying for um, a few who are struggling with sickness. Uh, Christopher and Anava and their family have been struggling with sickness for the last week. Uh, so let's pray for them. It seems to be kind of going through the family. Also, uh, Brother Kent uh, over here has been struggling for the last week or so with sickness and Gloria with her hips. And so. And then this morning, Angel told us, um, Angel and Deanna, Deanna, um, that they're, they're struggling with sickness too. So that's why they're not here as well. So. Father, we, we thank you that you created us and that you are not only our creator, but you're the sustainer of our life. You're the one who keeps us healthy. You're the greatest physician that is alive today. And I pray that you would pour your grace into our inner man, first of all, and strengthen those who are sick, strengthen their spirit, strengthen their faith, Lord, you know how sickness can just kind of get us down, depressed and discouraged. And Father, I pray that you would encourage them today through your word and that you would touch their physical bodies and raise them up and deliver them from this sickness. And also many, Lord, who are struggling with COVID and the strains of it. Father, we call upon your name today and ask you, would you come with your healing grace and healing strength? And raise up a people, Lord, that will praise your name in this generation and deliver us from this plague. In Jesus' name, amen. Behold, a virgin shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I wonder... If that interpretation is true in your life, is God dwelling within you? That's the interpretation of His name. That's what it means. God within me. His birth in history, quote, Oswald Chambers. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus Christ was born into this world, not from it. Big difference. He did not evolve out of history. He came into history from the outside. Jesus Christ is not the best human being. He is a being 
who cannot be accounted for by the human race at all. He is not man becoming God, but God incarnate. God coming into human flesh, coming into it from outside. His life is the highest and the holiest, entering in at the lowest door. Our Lord's birth was an advent. Quote, his birth in me, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Galatians 4.19, Paul's prayer for the church at Galatia. Jesus, just as our Lord, came into human history from outside, so he must come into me from outside. Have I allowed my personal human life to become a Bethlehem or the Son of God? Are you a Bethlehem? Are you? As Jesus Christ, we celebrate His coming from heaven to earth in this little town of Bethlehem. Just a small minute little place barely recognized by the Roman world. If you would have asked a normal scholar in the Greek society of the Roman Empire, where's Bethlehem of Judea? They probably would have had to look for an atlas and try to find it. Are you his Bethlehem? I cannot enter into the realm of the kingdom of God unless I am born from above by a birth totally unlike natural birth. You must be born again. John chapter 3. Jesus told Nicodemus, the scholar of the word. He was a scholar of the Bible, but he did not understand Jesus' language when Jesus said, you must be born from above. You must be born of the Spirit of God within you. He said, what? How in the world can I somehow shrink and go back into my mother's womb and be born again like a new baby? That's what this wise man asked Jesus when he said, you must be born again. Do you ask the same question? Is the new birth today as mysterious to you as it was to Nicodemus? Or do you understand Jesus' words when, you, when he says to you, you must be born again. You must be born from above. You must be born of the Spirit so that Christ can Come and dwell within you, Emmanuel, God within you. Quote, this is not a command, it is a foundational fact. It is a foundational fact. The characteristic of the new birth 
is that I yield myself so completely to God that Christ is formed in me. Immediately, Christ is formed in me. His nature begins to work through me. God manifests in the flesh. This is what is made profoundly possible for you and me by the redemption. Unquote. I was reading that this week and pondering Emmanuel, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. And those two passages of scripture became alive to me in this way. They became alive in me in a renewed kind of way. The renewal that Colossians chapter 1 says, a renewal of Christ in you. Do you understand that? When Christ's life is renewed within you, it's like all of a sudden it becomes new for you. Not old, new. Do you understand that God's mercies over your life are new every morning? Do you? If you experience that for real, you'll never have carried over guilt. The failure of yesterday has nothing to do with me today. I'm not guilty of my failures yesterday because I live by His new mercies today. If you don't experience His mercy that way, you do not experience the faithfulness of God. You're not getting it. You might acknowledge it, but you don't live it. You're still living in the guilt of the past. And that guilt stacks up. It incurs debt upon you. And after a while, if you don't come to Him and receive His new mercies every day, you become burdened with the debt of your past failures and guilt. And you become like Christian, like Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan wrote that story of Christian. You remember how he pictured this man in the beginning of the story? How, what did he have on his back? A big burden. It's like a sack full of stones, heavy weight. Have you ever tried to do that? I was raised on a small dairy farm. And as I grew up, when I was about your age, Lucas and Michael, as I grew up through my teenage years, we, all, we would get our feed for the dairy cows, our mixed feed, in these 50-pound sacks. And then sometimes they got into 100-pound sacks. And the feed truck would come every week with these feed sacks, these burlap bags. And I remember as I grew stronger, I... I wanted to grab those feed sacks and throw them up on my shoulder. And, and I began to pride myself in my early teenage years to grab a feed sack back up to the truck and put one on this shoulder and one on this shoulder. And down I went and stacked them. Oh, I thought I was strong. 200 pounds on my shoulders. One on each shoulder. Burdens on my back. Is that how you view your past? I'm strong. I can handle this. Do you know that's what our flesh likes to do with our past failures? 
We like to strengthen ourselves thinking we can bear it. But eventually, as you get older, it'll wear you out. It'll ruin your back. And today, my brothers and I suffer from that. Injuries because of our pride, our young pride. Are you suffering today because of your youthful pride? I can carry my burdens. Or will you unload that burden and receive his new mercy and be free? No burden on your back. When Pilgrim met Jesus at the cross, that was the significant change that transformed his life. His burden of guilt rolled away. And he was stood before Jesus, blameless. And I love that word. Now to him who is able to present us faultless before his throne. You know that word in Jude? It's an amazing word. Let's read it together. Perhaps you haven't read it for a while. And you need to hear these words and come to him who is able to do that. Jude only has one chapter, if you want to turn your Bibles to it. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. If you're depressed, that's your problem. But if you experience this every day as you get up, and stand in his presence, in his new mercy, the devil will have a really tough time depressing you. He might oppress you. Oh, he will try. He did tell. Even Paul experienced his oppression. He said at one point, I despaired of life. He was so oppressed. But the devil never depressed him. Big difference. And so I was pondering this Emmanuel, and the Lord took me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, verse 18, actually. Let's begin there and read the next down through verse 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her. What a man. Are you that kind of a husband? Are you that kind of a man? Of a woman? When the person closest to you cheats on you. What else could happen? He was sure that happened. The angel hadn't told him anything yet. But he had this one purpose. I will not disgrace her. Wow. How that would change our homes. Huh? Our marriage relationships. Our relationships with our children. How about the church? God's family. If we would love each other with this one purpose, we will not disgrace each other. 
what a change could bring to our relationship. I believe as God looked upon Joseph and Mary's relationship, engaged to be married, he chose this couple. This was the righteousness he seen in Joseph. And because of this, Jesus' life was safe under his tutorship, his guardianship of an earthly father until he was mature enough to be protected by his heavenly father and be led by his heavenly father. His heavenly father protected him, but how did he protect this little baby? Through his earthly righteous dad. He was a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, or one translation says, as he was considering, how am I going to do this? Do you take a moment when someone cheats on you, or it seems like sins against you in the most severe way, to just stop and consider, Lord, how shall I deal with this? Perhaps if we would do that, just that one little thing, see God there, we would hear what he heard. And we could do what would seem absolutely impossible in the flesh. We would do what no one would do in the flesh. Do you think Joseph would have stayed with Mary if he wouldn't have done this? No, he wouldn't have. And that was a very important fact in the birth of Jesus because Joseph was the son of David. Keep reading through Matthew 1 and then go to Luke chapter 1 and see the lineage. He needed to be his earthly father for that legal fact. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is not of another man, it's of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and thought, this is absolutely crazy. That was just, what kind of a dream was that? I don't think that was you, Lord, was it? Couldn't have been. I'm secretly putting Mary away. I'm not going to take that reproach on my life. Is that what you do with the voice of the Holy Spirit in your ninth season? That's what my natural man wants to do. Many times. And yours does too, right? We can all relate to that. That's not what Joseph did. 
And the reason I believe that he obeyed here is because of his righteousness, his righteous purpose. He was not going to disgrace Mary. And this was his answer. And so when he gets the answer, this is the way you will not disgrace her, but you will take her reproach upon yourself. You'll identify with this and you'll walk out into the neighborhood and for the rest of your earthly life, this reproach will hang over your head. All your neighbors, your family, they'll never believe you because they didn't hear the voice of the angel. You're the only one that heard it. And they're all going to say quietly around in their house, there are going to be a lot of talk at the school, at the synagogue, in town. There's Joseph and Mary. Did you hear? That's not his child. That baby, not his. Nobody knows whose it is. Oh, they say it was like this craziness. Some spirit came and made her pregnant. Who ever heard of such a thing? Have you? Of course not. That's just craziness. I believe that was going on all around. That mystery. And Joseph obeyed and took that reproach upon his life and took Mary for his wife. Because he was righteous, he obeyed the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, is this how Christ is formed in you? Is it? It is. And if you and I are not willing to allow Christ to be formed in me and to make me a Bethlehem, we'll never experience it. Joseph would have missed out on being Jesus' earthly father, chaperone, tutor, as he grew up living with the very Son of God at his table under his care. God with him. He would have missed it. God would have found another man, no doubt. Joseph would have missed it. Are you missing it? Sometimes I am. When I shrink back because it seems too crazy. And the reproach seems too harsh. God, how can this be your way of forming Jesus in me? Is there not some other way? I just secretly put it away. That revelation that God gave me tucked away somewhere in my secret dark closet. And I go on living my normal, natural life. I just want to be a normal guy in this little town. Not someone who's bearing that kind of a reproach. Now all this took place. That what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled saying. Behold the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took her as his wife. And kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he's called his name Jesus. In Luke 
Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. And as you go through Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. I don't want you to underline that word, greatly troubled. That's how Mary was at this moment. She wasn't this, you know, peaceful, sweet, oh, this is so great. She didn't know the future. She had no idea what you and I now know looking back. No one had ever done this to her in her life. She had never heard of any such thing. And she, I don't think Mary for a moment ever dreamt. That she as a virgin would give birth to a baby. The Messiah would come this way. No one had ever told her. Greatly troubled. Kept thinking. What is this? And behold. Verse 31. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived this son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary... Greatly troubled. I'm putting that in there. So I think she was still there. Look what she said. Out of her greatly troubled experience. This was her response. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That is how Jesus came as a baby in the womb of Mary on the earth. That's still how he is formed in you and I, through the Holy Spirit, born again of the Holy Spirit. He comes to us with this same promise. Christ in you is formed the same way now through his Holy Spirit. Christ, not as a physical baby, but as a spirit comes within our spirit to fulfill this same word 
He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. You and I will be called Sons of the Most High. Daughters of the King. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David in your life. He won't just come as a baby. He's coming to reign over your life. And not only in this life, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. You will never be the same. He now rules in your life for all eternity. He's king. What's your response? When you get this revelation, what's your response? I'm greatly troubled about this. This is so fearful. Wait a minute. Let me think about how this is going to affect my life. Let me think about how this is going to affect my family. Let me first think about how this is going to affect... What about my, my, the husband I'm engaged to? Wait, wait. Uh, uh, Lord, I, I, I don't know about this. This is too crazy. All that troubled thoughts, all of those troubled thoughts, I'm sure went through Mary's mind. But where she came to were these words, very significant words. Behold the bondservant of your Lord, of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. Have you said that to Jesus? If you haven't, my dear brother, sister, you're missing the life that he has purposed for you. Your sins may be forgiven. And many people come to receive that forgiveness and how blessed it is. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whom the Lord does not impute his iniquity upon him. Those are his new mercies every day. And they are blessings on our life. It makes us blessed beyond measure. There's no blessing like it in all of the world. If someone were to offer you all of the money of the world, it couldn't compare to the blessing of having all your sins forgiven. Romans chapter 4, Paul speaks about that blessing. And he says it's an amazing blessing, the greatest blessing. But there is more to life than just living a sorry life. You know what I mean by that? Always saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's a sorry life. Every day, I'm sorry, Lord, forgiven. I'm sorry, Lord, forgiven. I'm sorry, Lord, forgiven. If you and I allow the Holy Spirit to do this in us, it's more than that. Israel experienced that, but they were never born again. Nicodemus didn't understand this because he lived under the realm of forgiveness. But as he tells us in Hebrews, they had to do it every year because there was a remembrance of those sins. And so the high priest had to go in every year and make intercession for the people. But Jesus' sacrifice does it once and for all because he does this. He comes to reign over us. And a significant change happens to us just like it happened to Joseph and Mary. It changes our life forever because our identity now is in Christ. How do we know Joseph and Mary? How do you know them? Weren't there many other parents in Nazareth those days who had children and families? But you don't know their name. 
The only reason we know this couple's name is because of their identity in Christ. That's how we know their name for 2,000 years later. And that's how we'll know them for all eternity. Because of their identity in Christ. How are people knowing your name? They're going to forget it and you'll go down in history completely forgotten. Just like all those other people in the town of Nazareth. Unless you and I are willing to take the reproach of Christ's inner life upon ourselves. And then of his kingdom there is no end. That's how we receive eternal life. And our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Where they'll be remembered for all eternity. We are somebody in God's family because of this. Today, you'll turn into nobody to somebody. That's what Peter says. Have you read 1 Peter chapter 2? And you were not a people, but now you are what? The people of the living God. You were not a people, nobody worth mentioning. But when our identity is in Christ, we become the people of the living God. Or nothing will be impossible with God. By the way, this Mary, it's interesting that Mary's mind went to bond servant. Where do you think she came up with that? Oh, it was in her Hebrew culture. She understood exactly what the angel Gabriel was asking from her. It was written in the law. I'm sure she heard it read many, many a Sabbath. Let's look at it. Exodus chapter 21. In Exodus chapter 21, we read what a bond slave looked like. What they called, there was a difference between a slave and a bond slave. And I want to show you that difference. Verse chapter 21 of Exodus Verse 1. Now these are the ordinances which you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. It wasn't a foreign slave. It was one of God's own people. But on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. And if he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children belong to her master. He shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, get this, it's the seventh year, I'm bought as a slave to this rich man. I'm poor. Who knows how he got him? Many times the Hebrew slaves were enslaved because they owed money to people. You went and borrowed a lot of money from your neighbor, and you were wanting to start your own vineyard, your own business, your own little farm, and things didn't go out so well, work out so well for you, and you lost the money, you lost the farm. This is what the Lord wanted them to do. The man who was indebted would say, I'll take your farm, I'll take over your whole life, you'll be my slave for seven years. You'll serve me because you owe me that money. And so, if he was a married man, his wife came with him and all that he possessed. And he became the other man's slave. Well, on the seventh year, for six years, so this is what happened to me. I want you to put it to you in this, in this place. Because this is where Mary went to the angel. 
in her mind. This happens to me. And so I served this man for six years. It's the year of Jubilee. I get set free. It's the seventh year. Actually, I think the year of Jubilee was the 49th year. But this was the seventh year. It was to be set free. And now, he comes to me and says, Look, you've served me for six years. Go free. And I have a wife. Go, take your farm. You've paid your debt. But in those six years, wait, I had children. Or maybe you came as a single man. And one of his other servants, you married them and you began to have a family. Now I have a choice. The family stays. And I get to go free alone. Ah, uh, where's my love? It's right here. They're his slaves. So what am I going to do? Go out and be a free man? Be on my own and start over? Or am I going to stay here because I love my family and I love my master? He's been good to me. He's obeyed the law. By the way, if you go to Levit Leviticus chapter 25, you'll see how they were supposed to treat their fellow Hebrew slaves. Be kind to them. Be gentle to them. Not treat them in an oppressive kind of way. It's very interesting how the Lord laid this out to them. So it was a good life this guy had. I have a good life here. But notice what he says. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door. He brings him to God and he comes to a door. And he says, put your ear right here. Right up against this wood. And I'm going to get an awl. Do you know what an awl is? Anyone here know what an awl is? What we call an awl? It has a little wooden handle. Kind of like a knob. And it has a real sharp like needle. Pretty thick on the upper end. It comes down to like a needle point. I'm not even actually sure what carpenters use them for. What did they use them for? Maybe punch holes or something? That's what they used them here for. Put your ear up there. Give me my hammer. Boom! Pierce his ear. Yeah. Love hurts. Huh? Does your love hurt? Have you loved Christ in this way? Have you taken on that hurt? Because you love. Mary did. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall serve him for how long? Permanently. Sealed. You're going to be here the rest of your life. You'll go down and be buried in a grave as my slave. That's the word Mary used to the angel. Have you ever used that word to a revelation that God has spoken into your heart? When the Holy Spirit comes to form Christ in you, dear child of God, you've had your sins forgiven many times. But now he comes to say, I want to live God with us, Emmanuel. I want to fulfill the purpose of my coming in your life from this day forward. Will you respond like Mary? 
Behold the bond slave of your Lord, of my Lord. Let it be done everything you say in my life. I tell you, it's life-changing. And if you haven't done it, Jesus today is inviting you and me to his life, just like he gave Mary and Joseph the opportunity. So he now gives us the same opportunity. Every man and every woman. He gives us, through his Holy Spirit, speaks your, this word to us, not just to encourage us, not just to forgive our sins, not just to make you have a good day and be happy, to rule your life through his word. His word is the all that pierces our ear. And I become a bond slave to this. You know what the difference is between a bond slave and a real slave, another kind of slave? Here's the significant difference in case you missed it. The bond slave is one of free will choice because he loves. The rest of the other slaves, any other kind of slave is not there on his own will. He's been captured. He's held against his will. He's not been given freedom. But the bond slave is a free will choice. I've made my choice. It's the choice of love. That's what Joseph and Mary did. And that's why today their identity is forever in Christ. We don't know them outside of Christ. And that's what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He's like, when I come there in the church, the people who were not a people, but now are the people of God. Those people. I only want to know one thing. I want to know Christ. That's it. I want to know Christ in you. Are you seeking that out in fellow believers? Wherever you go, around the world, what do you, what do you reach out to other Christians for? What are you wanting from them? I tell you, you'll never be disappointed if you go seeking Christ. Unless they're carnal Christians like Paul was with the church of Corinth a bit. But even then, he had a lot of good fellowship with the church of Corinth. Just read through the whole book. He did experience Christ. Amidst all their fleshly problems and carnality, Christ was still there, being formed in them. The second thing I want you to notice. They recognized something about Jesus. Because they became bond slaves, choice of love slaves, they recognized something about Jesus that the rest of the world did not. Very few. There were a few, a couple prophets. You'll read in Luke chapter 2 when they took him to the temple. There was the prophet Simon, and there was the prophetess Anna who recognized it. But the rest of the world, even his own disciples, after walking with him for three years and seeing and experiencing his ministry and the power that flowed from him, did not recognize this. He did not come to overthrow the Roman government. He did not come to do away with the oppression of man. He came as a baby to rule individually in the life and heart of people. 
That's why he came. To save us from our sins. That was the prophecy. They heard. The rest of the world didn't hear that. But they did. And they understood it. Mary pondered all these things in her heart. She saved them. And Joseph lived it out. In Luke chapter 2. I don't have time to take you there, but go back and read it. Do you know why Jesus was born in Bethlehem? How was he physically, how did he physically, what took Mary and Joseph there? The census. New taxation. That's what took him there. All of a sudden, the king, the governor, said, I need more money. New taxes. And so, through the oppression of government, instead of grumbling, complaining, and rebelling against it, Joseph and Mary went without any complaint. They went under the oppression of man. Christ, his life, the word, his prophecy was fulfilled in their lives just as it was spoken and prophesied. Wow! I wonder what would happen to God's people if they got that same attitude today. I tell you what's happening all around the world, and you know it. Just read the voice of the martyrs, or read the spirit of martyrdom, or read the Fox's book of martyrs, or what happened in the past. I tell you, instead of God's people joining the rest of the world in grumbling and complaining and rebelling inside against the oppression of government and seeking to somehow overthrow it, they obey. Humbly, they go. And through the oppression of man, Christ is formed in them. That's what happened. And then they come to Bethlehem. And there's no room for them. Don't you think Mary was exhausted? She was almost due to have this baby. How do you think the emotions they had to work through as they came there? Doesn't tell us because you know what? It doesn't matter. They obeyed. And it doesn't matter how you and I feel. If we obey, Christ is born in us. And he was born in a cow stable. And today we make it all nice, pretty straw. And we make it all this beautiful thing. And I think we get carried away in the idolatry of Christmas as the world celebrates it. And we totally miss the manure. That's right. The stink, the smell of the barn. Have you entered the smell of the barn? That's where Jesus is born in your life, in a barn, with the cows mooing, the donkeys kicking them. Bah! How do the donkeys go? Ah, ah. I don't know. Someone tell me how a donkey makes. Hmm? Nobody has a donkey. Dad knows. He used to have mules. <laughs> the noise of the cows, the smell. Have you missed it in your life? When you take on the bond slave and you give yourself to God that way and the first step of obedience becomes the oppression of government over your life. New taxes. And you end up in a barn, in a stable because nobody has any room for you. Are you okay with that? 
Mary and Joseph were okay with it. Why? For one reason. They were bond slaves. The choice of love led them there. Joseph could have left. Mary could have said, no, thank you, angel. I'm not into this. Go find someone else. And he would have. But their identity forever is in Christ. Because Christ was formed in them this way. Still the same way. Just read his word. And see if he doesn't form himself in you. Fulfill this word in your life in the very same way. Maybe not in a barn. But you get it, right? I'm talking about and then using it as an analogy. It's in that kind of an atmosphere. Taking on the reproach of Christ. That's how he's formed. Whoo! I tell you, this is way different than just having your sins forgiven. Yeah, way different. He writes a word to us. I love these words in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. That's how he starts. He comes as a baby, but even as a baby, when he's formed in you, begins with this, but immediately this becomes part of your night's experience. But I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Then he says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. And you see these three kind of levels. The kingdom of God comes in its infancy in our hearts when we're born of the Spirit. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, or chapter 2, he says, As newborn babes, we sincerely desire the milk of the Word. But Jesus didn't stay a baby. Look what happened to him. By Luke chapter 2, Luke is recording him this way. And this is what I want to encourage you and I with today. This is how he encouraged me. Luke chapter 2, verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom And in favor with God and man. In wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. God's favor comes first. And then men look upon it. And as Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, they will see your good works and glorify God, your Father in heaven. Is Christ being formed in you? Are you his Bethlehem? Are you willing to be his bond slaves like Mary and Joseph? If you and I take up that, dear brother, sister, be encouraged with this one thing. From this day forward, your life's identity is in Christ. People will know you for all eternity and will fellowship with you for only one reason, your identity in Jesus Christ. And you'll be delivered. 
Just as all the other saints from the history of the world, when Christ was formed in them, all of a sudden when the Holy Spirit came down upon those 120 in the upper room, they forgot about the Roman government and its oppression. They simply didn't care anymore. It wasn't on their agenda. What was on their agenda? The kingdom of God on the earth. Souls being saved and Christ being formed in them. That was the sole mission of their life and their ministry. And that's how we know them today, right? How do you know the 12 disciples? Hmm? Their identity in Jesus, right? How do you want to be remembered? The only way we will ever be remembered, and this is important, it's not about our legacy. It's about our eternity. It's our identity in Jesus Christ. That's it. When I stand before him, am I, my life, is it identified in him? Is his identified in me? Carrie, as you were singing with the kids this song, wrapped up, tangled up, tied up in Jesus, the Lord asked me a question. Am I wrapped up, tied up, Entangled up in your life. We sing, I'm wrapped up in his, but is he in yours? Is his identity in your life today? Oh, dear brother and sister, take courage. The kingdom of God comes as a baby in our life, but it doesn't stay there. It grows and grows. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like the grain of a mustard seed. It starts really small, but it doesn't stay small becomes a king, rules over our life. It's how the seed of the word of God is. God bless you. Okay, sorry. Thank you, Brother Phil, for sharing that. Um, let it be unto me as it is written in your word. Uh, however Mary said that, that is something that really pondered. And for my heart is, can I truly uh, say those words? And I just, kind of there at the end is, you know, whatever was going on during that time frame with Mary and Joseph, and I thought about, you know, all this chaos that we've kind of experienced in the last couple of years. And, you know, we just don't know really what to expect and, you know, what people think of me or whatever. But God is after my heart. He's after your heart. You understand? He knows what's going on out there, but he wants my heart. And so, and it all begins here that we can make a difference for out there. So, anybody have something on their heart they'd like to share? Or a word of encouragement or prayer, whatever. It's your time.
If not, they were all kind of filled up halfway yet from Christmas dinner. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure we got uh, food over here prepared. So why don't we all stand and uh, we'll uh, close in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for uh, your son Jesus that is willing to come down on this earth as a babe. But Lord, and be able to... Uh, have a life here on this earth to be that example for me and for each of us. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus and for the plan of salvation uh, that we can experience in the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for each one that's here today. Bless our time together. We thank you for the, the physical food that's also prepared. Lord, I just pray you bless it to our bodies, and we want to honor and glorify you in everything we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.